How's everybody doing? Have you been blessed by the music so far? Amen. Uh, I have. And uh, all of you musicians, thank you. Thank you for blessing us. And Brother Jeff, it's always good to, to see you. So I learned this week, or I was reminded this week. Um, so Brother Jeff is, grew up in Niceville, Florida. I moved here from Fort Walton Beach. Uh, I say moved here. I don't even live here. I moved into our roaming lifestyle that we're in right now, but we, I retired from Wright Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach, which is just right down the road from your old neck of the woods. Well, I don't know if you and I ever connected this. If we did, um, not you, but I am getting old, and I may have gotten forgetful. So, But I was talking with a friend of mine this week. Uh, we were actually uh, messaging each other on Facebook, and Sally Throckmorton. And so Sally said, oh, how is, uh, so I said, yeah, I preached at Central uh, this past Sunday, had a great day. She goes, oh, you got to see Jeff Hagens. I said, yeah, Jeff, buddy of mine, has been for years. And, and she said, well, I don't know if you remember, but Jeff surrendered to the ministry when David, and so Sally's husband, David Throckmorton, Pastor David, pastored Rosemont Baptist Church in Niceville, and she said, Jeff surrendered to the ministry under David's ministry at Rosemont. There I had forgotten that. Jeff. That summer, that surrendered to the ministry. Wow. And um, not only that, but I was saved in, in their music room at their house. Wow. Several years before that. It's just so neat. Yeah. Your friend, Sally and David. Well, I, when I was in college, um, I served with Brother David, and he was one of my first churches I served. Um, I was a music student, so he... Uh, took a gamble and allowed me to come be his minister of music. And um, that was the best three weeks of my life. We had such a, <laughs> such a dear ministry. No, and we were there for a while, and um, actually until I graduated and moved to seminary. But um, Pastor David, to this day, is one of my mentors. There are about five men in ministry, five pastors in ministry, my dad being number one, uh, that I really respect and look up to and count as mentors, but Brother David is one of them. So I've kept up with the Throckmortons, and um, anyway, I, it, I was just reminded that uh, if I ever knew that, I forgot, and it was just me. And I was like, oh, well, I'll have to connect that with Jeff uh, when I see him this weekend. And uh, it's just so neat how the family of God's a big family. And uh, one of the things that, that Kristen and Miranda and I are learning, uh, and by the way, Miranda's not here with us today. She she stayed back uh, at home and to watch over our, our farm. Um, we have a dog and a cat. That's our farm. <laughs> and uh, but and I know she's watching. So hey, sweetheart, I love you. Um, if you saw me on my phone earlier, I was not being rude or disrespectful. I was making sure she was tuning in okay and, and got on y'all's Facebook okay. Um, but one of the things we've learned as when we left full-time ministry back in September or August and we hit the road and we traveled this great land of ours uh, is there are believers everywhere. And God is doing amazing things everywhere. And I know we don't always get that because we are so bombarded with so much negative news and it just sometimes seems like Everything and everybody around us is just, you know, horrible. And, but I want to tell you, God is still working. And he has been in the hearts of man since the beginning of man, and he continues to. And God's kingdom is a big kingdom. 
And we have met some dear believers across this country. I'm just going to share with you real, 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 real quick. Three. I could share with you several more, but we're eating in a restaurant in St. Louis, Missouri, technically St. Charles, Missouri, and um, kept driving by this place and saw a lion out the door. It's always a good sign for a restaurant. So we thought, well, we got to try it. So we did. We went on like a Monday night or Tuesday night, and we're sitting there having our dinner, and we look over, and just right, right beside us, essentially, was a couple sitting at a table. And they, um, I don't know, I don't know, just, I guess it was the Holy Spirit. I, I just knew we started talking. I bet they're believers. It was just the way they were carrying themselves and, and the way they looked. And, and so I said, uh, uh, when we finished our meal, the Christian and Miranda went to the restroom, and, and I was paying the bill. And I said to them, they were eating a piece of pie at this time, and I said to them, oh, my goodness, I almost ordered that. That looks so good, but I just don't have any room. And they're like, well, we, we just had an event at our church, and we love to come here and just get pie and coffee. And I'm like, oh, what church do you go to? And we started talking. Long story short, found out they were believers. And we sat there and talked for a good 10 or 15 minutes, shared about what God had done in, in all of our lives, commonalities that we had, and it was just so neat. And then um, we walked out into the parking lot, and, and then we had one of the, and you know, if you walk with Jesus, you don't just say goodbye in here, right? You carry it out to the parking lot. And then you have another full conversation. Do y'all do this? Because we do this. We say bye, we hug, love you, going to miss you, see you later. We do that in the building, then we get out to the parking lot, we do it all over again. So we had another parking lot talk, and we said goodbye. And it just rejuvenated us. It just was like, man, it's so neat. Two complete strangers, 30 minutes ago, didn't know their name, didn't know them from Adam's house cat. And now we knew their name, knew their story, and we're going to be in heaven together. Story number two. I'll just share with you two stories because I, I really do want to preach eventually. <laughs> two, uh, second story, I was out running one morning, and, and as, I'm, as I'm running... Um, I, I, this man, and I'm going to put him probably mid-60s, he's on a bike, and he's riding towards me, and I'm running, and as, I, as we get within eyesight of each other, I felt the Lord say to me, that is a believer, that is a brother in Christ. And so I'm running, and when we pass, we just kind of do the morning, you know, just a head nod, good morning. He goes on. I got past him, and something in my spirit the Lord just prompted me to start praying for him. Didn't know him, uh, but just to pray for him. So I just prayed for him. And I, in that prayer, this is what I said, God, thank you that you put people in my life, even strangers, to just give me a smile and encourage my spirit. Thank you, because we all need encouragement. Would you agree with that? Say amen. A couple of minutes later, it was probably 10 minutes later, I'm still running, and I hear someone come up behind me on a bike because I could hear the gravel moving on the trail that we were on. And, I, and so as he got into my peripheral vision, this same man, he had gone and turned around and come back and was now approaching me from behind. And he got about right here I, in my peripheral, and he said, are you training for, and he gave the name, I can't remember, are you training for the whatever, whatever marathon this weekend? And I started laughing because I was like, look at me. I'm not a marathon runner. I was just out there trying not to pass out. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I laughed, and I, I said, no, 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 no. I said, my family and I, we're just, we're full-time RVers. We're staying at the RV park a couple of miles down this trail, and I'm just out for my morning exercise. He goes, oh, man, that's wonderful. Well, tell me about that. And I said, well, I retired from full-time ministry and to take a few years off and travel the country. My daughter is in 
season of her life where she's graduating high school and be leaving home in the next few years. We want to enjoy this time together as a family. And we just started talking, found out his name is Pat, his wife is Ginger. Um, and 20 minutes later, and I'm not making this up, 20 minutes later, here's two guys that have known each other for all of 20 minutes. Um, we probably didn't smell real good because we were both exercising, and it was a pretty warm morning. But here we are, um, kind of just huddled together. We'd already, we'd already shared our testimony. We'd already talked about the great things God has done. And we're praying together. And he prayed over me like he'd known me my whole life. And I prayed for he and his wife. And, and um, when we finished praying, he said, Brother, I love you. I said, Man, I love you. By the way, what's your last name? Right? I mean, that's how much we knew. I knew his first name. I love you. And um, he said, hey, would you, would you and your family come worship at our church this weekend if you don't have a place already? I said, oh, we'd love to. What, what church do you go to? And he told me, and we did. He goes, and afterward, we'd love to have you, uh, have you over the house. We'll cook out. We'll grill some burgers and, and just get to know one another. And I thought, absolutely, this is great. I come home, and Kristen and Miranda greet me, and how was your run? I said, oh, it's great. Oh, by the way, I met a guy, and we're going to their church Sunday, and we're going to their house that afternoon. <laughs> I did give her the full story. We ended up doing that. Went to their church, um, went to their house, and uh, had such a great time. Well, as it were, he, they live on a ranch in Custer, South Dakota, literally at the foot of uh, Crazy Horse Monument, and, the, um, and, and he grew up, Pat grew up on this land, he and his wife have built a house close to where he grew up, and his mom was still living on, on the land and in the house that Pat grew up in. And, um, and he helped take care of her and all this. Well, come to find out, they host people from all over the country, Christians and families from all over the country, to come out to their ranch and do all kinds of things. They, they have all kinds of, I mean, it's, it's hunting and tomahawk throwing and archery and bike riding and all things fun and outdoorsy. But they end each night with uh, a time of worship. And they bring in pastors and teachers from all over. And he said, hey, would you, would you be one of our teaching pastors and come in and, and preach this, uh, this next year? And I said, oh, I'd be honored to. So when we launch uh, from Florida uh, in the beginning of June, we're eventually going to make our way up to South Dakota and, and be part of that. And why I'm sharing this with you is because I'm going to talk to you today about traps. And I'll, I'll get to that in just a moment, but... Before we get into how the enemy wants to work in our life and rob from us and steal from us with these traps that we're going to identify, I want to say, and I'll say it again, that Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes only, y'all remember this from last week? If you don't, just nod and humor me and say you do. The thief comes, what? Only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now you remember, right? He only has one job, and he's had thousands of years to find craft his skill, and that is to steal, to kill, and to destroy you and me. That's the enemy's agenda each and every day, and he never takes a day off. But the second part of that verse, Jesus said, but I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So what I want to say to you is God has an abundant life, a full life, a meaningful life for you, for you as a person, for you as a, a family unit, for you as a church family, God has an abundant, meaningful, purposeful life for you. Do you believe that?
And the things that keep us from enjoying that full, abundant, meaningful life are traps that Satan puts before us. One of those full, meaningful, abundant blessings that come along the way are relationships. Relationships. Relationships that we build and, and maybe years and years later are still blessing us. Relationships that we build and, and that, that we, we have people who pour into us. Maybe, maybe that person shared Christ with you. All of us, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, somebody, somebody loved you enough to share Christ with you. Whether it was your mom, happy Mother's Day, by the way, I want to add to what Brother Jeff said earlier, moms, happy Mother's Day. Maybe it was your mom, maybe it was your parents, maybe it was a pastor, maybe it was a friend, maybe it was a spouse. Um, but somebody loved you enough to share Christ with you. Somebody loved you enough and blessed you with the greatest truth there ever was, and that is that you deserve death and separation from God forever, but Jesus died in your place so you could know the eternal God forever. And so relationships, what an abundant thing to have in our life, relationships with one another. And God, God knew this because God, who is a God of relationships, created you and me for relationships. So one of the biggest blessings we've got, uh, that Kristen and I have had and Miranda have had as we've traveled, is just meeting people all over. People who love Jesus, people who serve him. We've been in, in several different churches and several different kinds of churches. Um, and it's just been so neat to experience. So thank you for letting me share that because that really does set up what I want to talk to you today. That God loves you, has a purpose for you has an abundant life for you, not because Jeremy said it, but because Jesus promised it in John chapter 10, verse 10. But if you remember from last week, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So godly wisdom would say, okay, I realize we have an enemy because Jesus said we did, and Jesus called this enemy a thief, and this thief wants to steal from me, kill me, and destroy me. And there are ways, even the Bible identifies the ways that Satan uses these traps to still kill and destroy us. And godly wisdom says, if I've identified that, I've identified the enemy, I've identified his plan of attack, then I need to use godly wisdom in order to stand against, what the Bible says, stand against the tricks of the devil. So this morning we're going to identify just five. And, and, and we could be here all day, and, and believe me, um, you, could, you could add to what I'm going to say this morning. There are other traps we could identify. But I've identified five traps that I believe the enemy uses for you in your life as an individual, for you in your life uh, if you're married, in your marriage, for you in your life if you have family, your family, and then for you, Central Baptist Church, as a church family. These are traps that all of us potentially can fall into. I wish I could tell you this morning that I'm preaching to you uh, from what I've read in a book or what I've seen others do, but if I'm being completely transparent with you, these are traps even the enemy has set before me, and at one time or another, if I were being just completely honest, I have fallen into these traps. So I want to share with you from personal experience traps that the enemy has used to potentially steal from me, kill me, and destroy me. But here's what I've learned after many years in ministry and talking with many, many people. My experience with the enemy and what I've faced in life and hardships that I have had um, is very, very similar to you guys sitting here today. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I know you've got a little notes placed on your bulletin, and, and I didn't bring a, a slideshow with me, so I'm just going to say them, but I hope you'll write these traps down. I hope you'll write down the scripture that we're going to go in this morning, and I hope by the end of the message, 
that you will be completely open and honest, not necessarily with me or really with anyone except God and yourself, but I hope you will be completely open and honest with God and yourself. What trap are you in this morning? And when do you want to be set free? I love Galatians 5.1. It says that Christ died to set us free. And we as Americans, we love our freedom, do we not? Christ died to set us free. A freedom that no one else can truly know unless you walk with Christ. And so how can we be free from these traps? So that's what I want to identify this morning. The solution to these traps and to getting out of these traps can be found in a single verse, but we're going to look at a passage in Luke's Gospel. But if you remember from last week, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. If you're, taking, if you're taking notes, go ahead and write that down. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It's a very familiar passage. A lot of us in this room immediately know where I'm going with this and could probably quote that verse. But if you remember, it talks about uh, offering our bodies as living sacrifices. But in Romans tra- chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. Everybody say transformed. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Hang on to that phrase, renewing of your mind. Because I believe the very first trap that Satan wants to use in our life, and the very first trap I want to identify that Satan wants to use, listen, in the life of this church, is the trap of worry, fear, and anxiety. And when I say anxiety, I don't mean like happy, excited, I can't wait, you know, for an event to happen, kind of anxious. I'm talking about anxiety that keeps you up at night, that causes you to lose sleep, the kind of anxiety that keeps you from eating well and and digesting food well, the kind of anxiety that sometimes paralyzes and cripples people. This is a huge trap that Satan uses in our life, the trap of worry, fear, and anxiety. And when you and I fall into that trap, our vision, our godly vision begins to dissipate and our vision becomes very tunnel. And we stop seeing things from God's perspective. The things that we look at around us begin to to seem impossible, even though our God has said, with God all things are possible. When we're in this trap of worry and fear and anxiety, we begin to ask questions like, how am I ever going to get away from this? How are we ever going to accomplish this? And we begin to worry and worry and worry. So what is the solution? Well, the Bible says to renew our mind. Renew our mind in what? Renew our mind in God's provision. Go with me to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, we're going to look at a story. This may be a very familiar story to some of you. Some of you may be the first time you're reading it. and Some of you somewhere in between. You've seen it a few times, but I want to look at it again with fresh eyes. In Luke chapter 9, It says, when Jesus had called the twelve together, 
He gave them power and authority. When Jesus called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If the people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Notice what Jesus said. Take nothing for the journey. He'd already, the Bible has already identified that he gave them power and authority over demons and to cure diseases and to preach and teach, to proclaim the kingdom of God. And we're good with that. Everything's good with that. And then he says, by the way, don't pack for the journey. Now imagine you and your family this summer are going to go on vacation. And somebody in your family says, hey, I have a neat idea. Let's just not pack. We're going to be gone two weeks. Let's not take anything with us except the clothes on our back. How would you feel about that? That'd be a little weird, wouldn't it? Especially if you're married. And if your experience, guys, is like my experience with the ladies that I live with. Because we don't just pack one or two bags, right? We pack and pack and pack. So we used to go, we've been to Haiti as a family. We've been to Haiti uh, ten times. And we partnered with a ministry there that was birthed out of our church called Truth Ministries. We worked in a particular village in, in Haiti, about an hour and a half, two hours north of Port-au-Prince. And, um, and when we would go, my bag was literally the backpack on me. And Kristen and Miranda had all kinds of suitcases and bags and all this stuff. And, and they used to tease me, like, how are you surviving? Like, well, sometimes we go over 12, 14, I think the longest we were there one time was three weeks. How are you going to, you know, go over there and all these days, everything you can fit is in your backpack? And I'm like, because I'm a guy. It's in the guy code. The good news is Jesus was talking to, the, to a bunch of guys, but he may have had to change his instructions. But anyway, if not, but anyway, take nothing for the journey. Now, even though these were guys, and they were probably like me, like, yeah, everything we need for the next several weeks, we can just put in a backpack. Jesus said, no, 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 no. Don't even do that. Take nothing with you. What do you think Jesus was trying to tell his disciples in that moment? Listen, guys, I've called you to do something for me. I've given you authority. I've given you, I have given you power and authority to preach and to teach the kingdom of God. Now, if I have thought enough to give you that kind of authority, don't you know I'm going to take care of you? I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to use people to do that. What did he say? Go into people's house. And if they don't take you in, then shake the dust off your feet. In other words, don't worry about it. Go on. I'm going to provide for you. You know, God has not changed since this. He still says to you and me today, I'm going to provide for you. And I'm going to use people, because it's God's design. Why? Because we said it a while ago, God is a God of relationships. I'm going to use people to help you. Now, if God has already promised to provide for us so we don't have to worry, 
We don't have to have fear. We don't have to be ridden with anxiety because he's going to provide for us and he's going to use relationships to do that. Doesn't godly wisdom say, I need to be open to building relationships? Doesn't godly wisdom say, I need to be open to receiving help from people? Doesn't godly wisdom dictate, I need to be willing to help people? What a blessing it is to be used by God to encourage and to help others. What a blessing it is to receive help. Here's what I've learned. Maybe your experience has been different. Here's what I've learned. We love to help and we love to give, but it's very, very difficult sometimes to receive that same help from others. I cannot tell you how many people in my ministry have confessed to me I don't need any help. I'm good. I've, had, I've literally had people in the church, when I've said to them, how can I pray for you? I've literally had people say to me, don't waste God's time praying for me. There are more important things for him to handle. When we're ridden with worry and fear and anxiety, we become blind to seeing that God indeed will provide. Oh, we could go all the way back to Genesis and we could read literally through the entire word of God and see how God provided. God provided for the children of, of Israel with quail by day and manna by night. God provided water from the rock. God provided a sacrifice for Abraham when he took Isaac up, up on the mountain. God provided a savior for you and me. And we could just read all about God's provisions. But here's what I want us to really focus on this morning. And that is if you are ridden with worry and fear and anxiety, friend, God is going to provide for you. You just got to trust. So you need to get out of this trap. This is how you do it. You need to renew your mind. My God, the Bible says, shall supply, I bet some of you can help me finish the verse, all my needs. That was an invitation for you to say it with me, by the way. My God shall supply, what church? All my needs. Trap number two. It kind of plays off trap number one. It's the trap of self-reliance. The trap of self-reliance. Three words that are a sure way to lead to your demise. I got this. I got this. I don't need your help. And I'm going to go one step farther and say many times we mask that with humility. No, 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 I'm good. No, I don't want to bother you. I'm good. I don't need anybody's help. I'm fine. True story, Brother Jeff, when I was in, at Westside and we had lost our ministry music, I was preaching, but I was also doing the music. And one particular Sunday, we were going to clear the stage after church and because, for whatever event we had that night. I think we were having a guest musician come in or something, so we had to move. We had a piano just like this, and we needed to move it. It sat kind of in the center, and we needed to move it way over, and we needed to clear... Uh, pew furniture and all this stuff. And so after church was done, um, of course, I greeted people and, uh, and all, but when the, when the crowd started dying down and you had the few that were lingering and talking, I came up on stage and I started moving things. And a guy came up to me, first name Rick, just so y'all don't think I'm making this up. Rick comes up to me and he says, hey, PJ, uh, you need any help? And I said, no, 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 I'm, I'm good, I got this. I'm trying to move that. 
no, 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 I'm good. I got this. He's like, are you sure? And I'm like, oh, yeah, positive. In full confession, this is what I was saying. You're not going to do it as well as I can do it. So I don't want you getting in my way. But that probably wouldn't have been too pastorly, right? So instead, I masked it in humility. No, you need to go have lunch with your family. Man, I, I got this. I'm good. I'm good. Thankfully, he didn't listen to me. He sat and watched me for me. He's like, no, seriously, you need my help. And then he called a few other people up on stage, and we all moved the piano. And by the time all of a sudden, I'm like, guys, thank you all so much. I really do appreciate it. See, I was wrong for doing that. I fell on a trap, even in that moment of self-reliance. I got this. I don't need anybody's help. And in the honesty of the moment, the reason I said it is because of my own pride. I can do it better. I know I'm probably preaching to people. You probably cannot relate to anything I'm saying right now, so that I'm all alone in this. But on the rare chance there's one or two of you listening, some of us struggle with no one else can do life better than we can do our life. No one else can do it as well as we, so we don't want help. And I want to tell you, it's a trap. So how do we get out of this trap? Well, we have to renew our mind. We have to renew our mind and understand that we need Jesus. Lord, I need you. Didn't we just sing this? Every hour, I need you. And not only do we need the Lord, but we need one another. Do you think maybe this is why God established the church? Because we need one another. Continuing on in Luke chapter 9. And I'm picking up in verse... uh, I'm going to skip down to verse 10. And when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they... Everybody say they. They reported to Jesus what they had done. i got to stop for a second. Verse 1, when Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority. So they went, and when they returned, they reported to Jesus all that they had done. I have read this story all my life, and it wasn't until several years ago that one sentence jumped off the page and hit me. And God's Holy Spirit said, Gates, that's you. God has called you. God has provided for you. God has given you the opportunity. And yet how tempting it is for you and me, this was him saying this to me, how tempting it is for you to feel good and to brag about all you've done. You know what? The apostles fell in that same trap. Self-reliance. Look what we did, Jesus. Look what we did. And like a good teacher would do, look what happened. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, listen to this, 
Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote place here. And Jesus replied, what? You give them something to eat. Are are y'all putting this together? Jesus gave the apostles power and authority to go teach and preach. They came back bragging about all they had done. So Jesus said, follow me. And he takes them to a scene where there's thousands of people needing food. And what's the disciples' solution? Send them away. What's Jesus' solution? Nope. Hey, you've been bragging to me about all you've done? You give them something to eat. What do you think the disciples in that moment felt? You see, they had this self-reliance, and, and, and albeit good intentions, but how easy it is for you and me, church, please don't miss this, how easy it is for you and me to accomplish something for God and then to brag about it and to feel good about it instead of giving God the glory for it. Now, I'm not at all suggesting we don't celebrate. We do. We do celebrate, and we do talk about all that God has done. But it's that. It's talking about all that God has done. Amen? Because the minute you and I think we got this, the minute you and I think I don't need anyone's help, our good teacher will go back and go, all right, have at it. You think you can handle life without me? I give you the freedom to do that. Because God is a God of love. The Bible says God is love. And love does not seek to control. Love does not seek to force because love is not forced. And so the author of love gives you and me the freedom to do life with him or without him. And in this moment, Jesus had a valuable lesson to teach his disciples. You've been bragging, you go ahead and feed all these people. The truth of the matter is, to get out of the trap of self-reliance, we have to renew our mind in our interdependence upon Jesus. And notice I said the word interdependence, not independence. We need Jesus, listen, and we need one another. That's God's design. John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me, remain in me, I will remain in you. But apart from me, you can do how much? Nothing. Trap number three, selfishness. Selfishness. It's any attitude that puts you and your needs before others. It elevates your opinion to becoming absolute truth. It looks out for number one, and guess who's number one? You. This is what selfishness does. And my experience has been that selfishness is not just one trap. It actually keeps us in the previous two traps. Because when we're selfish, we're self-reliant. And when we're self-reliant and we hit an impossible situation like the disciples did, we begin to worry and have fear. This trap of selfishness keeps us in bondage. Continuing in our story in Luke chapter 9, So Jesus replied, you give them something to eat. And they answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd, about 5,000 men there were, 
But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of 50 each. Because of the disciples' moment of self-reliance, because of their moment of, uh-oh, how are we going to face this impossible situation? And they even threw out a, a man's wisdom answer. Send them away. No, that's not going to work. Well, I mean, all we have is our little bit of fish and bread. I guess we're just going to have to go buy more. Still not getting it. And because of these traps, Jesus had the answer for them. In Philippians chapter 2, it says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 into 5, don't just look after the needs of yourself. Don't just look after your own self-interests. Look out for needs of others as well. That verse, by the way, chapter 2 of Philippians is one of my favorite passages in the entire New Testament. That passage goes on to say in verse 5 and continuing, have the attitude is that of Christ Jesus our Lord. So how do we get out of this trap of self-reliance and then selfishness? We have to renew our mind in having an attitude of Christ Jesus. We have to renew our mind that we need to freely give and freely receive. I was serving a church one time, and Kristen and I were actually serving a group of people in our church. It was like some kind of banquet or meal or whatever, and, and, and the staff were serving, and Kristen and I were serving, and this, this guy, this gentleman in our church came up, and he said, and he was trying to be funny and cute. He said, I hope you don't expect a tip. And I said, no, this is our joy just to serve you. He said, because I don't tip well. I said, what do you mean? He goes, when I go out to eat, I just leave a gospel track. And I said, well, if you do that from this point on ever again, please don't put our name on the back of that track. And I didn't smile. I looked at him and said, brother, do you realize the Bible says a workman is due his wages? And for you to put a gospel track in someone's hand when they've served you, and you brag about that, you're, you're missing the blessing of giving and blessing others. You want to give a track, that's great. I'm more of a fan for talking to them personally and sharing with them Jesus, but if you want to give a track, that's fine, but don't do it in lieu of the money they're trying to earn. What a, what a bad witness. I wish I could tell you guys this morning that was an isolated event. I've only ran into one selfish person who claimed to be a Christian. But the truth of the matter is, I've run into a bunch of selfish people. People who have a hard time giving. People who have a hard time extending a word of encouragement. Extending a hand. Why? Because they're looking out for their own self-interest. Why? Because they're self-reliant. Why? Because they don't trust. Why? Because they're ridden with worry and fear and anxiety. Are y'all starting to see a pattern here? Say yes. And this is what Christ died to set us free from free from the worry, free from the fear, so that we don't have to be self-reliant. We depend upon Jesus, and he uses other people, so that we don't have to look out for just our own interests, but we can be free to look out for the interests of others. And when we do that, we receive such a blessing. 
When we do that, we have the attitude of Christ Jesus. Before we go to the fourth trap, I want to say this about freely giving. When we freely give, we're putting ourselves in, a, in an opportunity and in a situation to rely on God all that much more. I don't want to ask, I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but have you ever helped someone and it was a sacrifice for you? I guarantee you I know the answer. Most of us in this room would say absolutely. We've all sacrificially given. I'm not going to get, share with you the details because uh, that's not the point, but recently, Kristen and Miranda and me, all three of us, had an opportunity to bless someone that God laid on our hearts, and it was a sacrifice. And, and, and when it all fleshed out, and we had the opportunity to, to share our faith in the midst of doing for this particular person in this situation, when he left us, I looked at Kristen and Miranda and I said, was it worth it or what? And we were all like, absolutely. Do we miss what we had to give in order to make this happen? Not at all. And then we all echoed, God is our provider. And so when you give freely, and we're not selfish, but when we give freely, we give God an opportunity to just bless us even that much more and to demonstrate his provision for us even that much more. But there's a fourth trap the enemy wants to put in front of us. And again, Brother Jeff, it's probably just you and me on this. I don't think they can relate to this, but it's going to be the trap of control. I know. Y'all have never struggled with control, but we probably have, and maybe one or two others. The trap of control. The biggest myth that we will live under is thinking that we control much. We can control a few things. Maybe what you put in your mouth, and some can't even do that. Maybe what you wear, and some can't even do that. Maybe where you go, but some can't even do that. My point is this. We think we control a lot when, in fact, we control very little. So we live under this myth that we can control. And the problem is, when we think we're controlling something, we're really not controlling it. We're just manipulating it. And I don't know of too many good things that come from me inserting myself and trying to manipulate situations to get the outcome that I think we ought to have. Oh, and by the way, I failed to tell you this. Trap number four directly comes from trap number one, two, and three. Because when I worry, I want to control. When I'm self-reliant, I want to control. When I'm being selfish and I'm demanding my way and not considering others, I want to control. In Luke chapter 9, I think the disciples had a dose of reality and realized we're not in control here. Oh, we were bragging a while ago to Jesus about all we'd done. Truth of the matter is, we didn't have anything to do with that. We were just being used by him because he's the one who gave us power and authority. And I believe God started giving them some wisdom because look what he said. Jesus said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. So the disciples did so. Surrender. Okay, Jesus, clearly you're in control. We're not because we don't have a solution. So the disciples did so and everyone sat down and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks 
and broke them. And then he gave to the disciples for the disciples to distribute to the people. This desire to control will always lead to manipulation of others. It will always lead to our selfishness. And it will always lead to broken relationships. You want to know why marriages break up? It's because the people in that marriage are fighting for control. You want to know why friendships break up? It's because the people in that relationships are fighting for control. You want to know why churches break up? I bet you know the answer. I'll give you a hint. It was the same answer as the previous two. It's because people fighting for control. You see, when God's people come together and fight for control, nothing good comes from that. But when God's people come together and unite and love one another and work together and lay their selfishness aside and seek God's agenda, not their own, amazing things happen. Twelve crusty men who couldn't even take a backpack with them on this journey received power and authority and God through them changed the world. You think it's important for you and me to get out of these traps? Absolutely. You think Satan wants to keep us in these traps? Absolutely. I shared with you a little bit last week. I'll revisit it briefly before I get to point, uh, trap number five and we wrap up. I shared with you Miranda's heart surgery years ago and I'll never forget the feeling of complete and utter being out of control, like completely helpless. There was nothing Kristen and I could do as, as Miranda's parents. It was a situation where we were, and I use this word gently, we were forced to rely completely on God. Father, your will be done. I'll never forget a Sunday morning at 730 Sunday morning before Miranda's surgery on Monday when I'd asked the leadership in our church to meet me at the worship center and pray before the church got there because the point was not to put on a show. The point was for us to get on our face before God. And several men and their wives met Christian and me at 7.30 when we got on our face in the front of the church and some of the most sweetest, most humbling prayers that I've ever heard prayed were lifted up that morning. I realized just how out of control I was and how completely in control God wants to be and will be if we'll let him. It shouldn't take anything that dramatic. We should just live our lives enjoying the surrender to God every single day. So what is the solution to get out of this trap that Satan puts in front of us to destroy relationships around us? We renew our mind. We renew our mind in complete surrender. There's a hymn we sing, and there's praise songs we sing that use that word, I surrender all, right? I surrender all. And the truth is, there have been times in my life I should have sang, I surrender some. I surrender one or the two things that I'm not really concerned with. But if it's a big deal and I'm really worried, I'll try to stay in control. 
If I'm being honest, that's how I should have sung the song. And every time I sing I Surrender All, I always think, do, but, but do I? Do I really surrender all? What a great prayer for us to pray, amen? And I think it's something we need to wrestle with every day because every day our flesh wants to get in the way. And when, we, when that happens and we're in that struggle, we need to renew our mind and I need to surrender and let God lead me. And then whatever action we take, if it's to speak up, if it's to go here, if it's to go there, great. But it's being led by God's Holy Spirit. The fifth trap. And again, I'm probably alone in this. Y'all just bear with me. You're being really kind. Thank you. Because I know probably most of us can't relate to any of these traps, right? The trap of perfectionism. You know how many times I've heard people brag to me, I'm a perfectionist. I have heard that in my adult life over and over and over. Probably one of the most dangerous traps you and I can fall in is this trap of perfectionism. Because it blinds us, listen, it blinds us from the fact that we've probably been in the other four traps. My experience with perfectionism is this. Number one, it's biblically false because there was one, the Bible says, who was perfect, and his name is Jesus Christ. The Bible goes on to say, in case we're confused by that, for all, everybody say all. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What does that say? All are messed up and no one is perfect. My second experience I've had with people who claim to be perfectionist, not only does it negate the perfection of Christ and the need for him, number two, that same bar that is set for self of being perfect is the same bar that's set for everyone around them. And when people don't measure up, they end up losing that relationship. If I operate in the trap of perfectionism, then I expect you to be just as perfect. And when you disappoint me, we have a falling out. Can anybody relate to this on any level? Say amen. It's a trap. Now let's not be confused with the word excellent. Because I believe everything we do should be excellent. The Bible says whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. How you work, whatever it is you do, Colossians, live your life, do it as unto the Lord. So I believe in excellence. I believe when we set our hands to work, we ought to work with all of our might, with full integrity. When we say we're going to do something, we need to do it and then some. We need to be excellent at what we do. But we don't need to live in the trap of being perfect because the reality is we're not. Listen to this, verse 17, Luke chapter 9, verse 17. So the disciples gave Jesus their food. Jesus blessed it. And he gave it to the disciples to distribute to the people. Verse 17, they all ate. So now we're talking multi-thousands of people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up how many baskets, church? Twelve. How many disciples were there? Okay. So the, they all were satisfied and the disciples picked up how many baskets? Well, you, do we serve a God of order and purpose or what? There was just enough food 
for everybody to eat and be satisfied, and there just happened to be a basket for each disciple to pick up. It was Jesus' way of telling his same guys who were bragging a while ago, look what all we did, as they're picking up their basket each, going, man, I didn't have anything to do with this. All I did was what? Surrender. I gave them my fish and bread. I gave, them, I gave Jesus what I had. It was Jesus who fed. It was Jesus who did more than enough. It was Jesus who provided. And it should be Jesus who gets the glory for this scene. Not what we did, but what he can do. But there's one more little nugget of wisdom in here that I love. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls, uh, here it is, of broken pieces that were left over. How poetic. These broken men, marred by sin, who many of them at different times in Jesus' ministry fell into these traps we've identified this morning. Truth is, these were just broken men picking up broken pieces. And the same is true for you and me today. We're broken. We're not perfect. We've sinned. We have imperfections. We have a need not only for God's grace, but we have a need for others around us to extend grace to us as well. Would you agree with that? And we have a need to give others grace in our life who have been broken. We could add to this list, there's other traps. But we're just going to deal with these five this morning. And as I close, I want to ask you to just be honest for a moment with yourself and with God. As you look at your list, what is your trap? What are you struggling with this morning? This isn't a way of coming down on you. This isn't a way of me saying, hey, I'm in it with you. Because Jesus forewarned us and said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you may have an abundant life. And the only way we have an abundant life is to operate out of these traps. So why, how do we do that? We have to identify the traps, and we have to renew our mind when it comes to identifying these traps. I don't want to be trapped anymore. I don't want to be riddled with, with worry and fear and anxiety. I don't want to be a selfish person. I don't want to be self-reliant, a self-made person. No, I'm broken. I need Jesus, and I need to renew my mind in that. Not only do I need God, but I need my church family. I need others around me to love me, to encourage me, to help me when I'm down, and to receive my help when I can give it. So I need to operate out of these traps. I need to understand that I'm broken. I'm not perfect. And people around me are broken. Every single person sitting around you right now is broken and marred by sin. They're not perfect. So why would we expect perfect perfection? Thus enter grace. So I want to ask you one more time, do you see how all these fit together? Do you see how identifying one of these traps, really in the honesty of the moment, maybe open up our eyes to the fact that we've been in several of these traps? So what is your trap this morning? And how are you going to allow God's holy word and his spirit pierce your heart this morning for you to get out of the trap. I want to pray for you this morning, and I know uh, Brother Jeff's going to come and lead us in a time of, of invitation. Here's the invitation as, as I see the Lord giving it this morning. It's for God's people to be free. Isn't that a beautiful invitation? Hey, friend, I want you to be free. I don't want you to live in these traps. I want you to be free.
I love you. I created you for a purpose and to have a full, meaningful life. So I want you to be free from this trap. So what is your trap? What mind renewal do you need to have this morning? And are you willing to just get along with God during this time of responding and pray and ask God for help? And then the follow-up with that is this. Certainly, the spiritual disciplines, we, we, we know and we talk about prayer and, and staying God's word and staying faithful to the fellowship. But I'm going to go one step farther, which, of course, is biblical, and that is don't be afraid to ask for help if you need it. That's where I believe the church really shines. That's a whole other sermon. Relax, I'm not going to preach it, but that's a whole other sermon. In Galatians, how God's people are to restore one another. So there may be somebody in this very room that you need to reach out to and just say, hey, would you pray for me? I'm broken. I'm hurting. And let that person love you and be an extension of God's love and provision for you. It's humbling, but oh, what a blessing. Let me pray for you. May God add his word, or excuse me, may God add his blessing to his holy word. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. This one story that we've read, God, it's so easy for us to see ourselves in this same story. The times in our life when, with good intentions, we've become self-reliant, maybe even blind to needs around us because we're worried about our own concerns and, and thus we become, we become selfish. And God, that's not our intent, but that's what happens. We fall into these traps that Satan puts before us, maybe because of, of fear and worry. We feel like we have to control what's around us. God, this morning, please set us free. Set us free and Lord, let us live in that freedom that Christ died for. Father, I pray for every single person in this room today and watching online. Whatever trap is before them, God, you through your Holy Spirit would give wisdom for them to renew their mind in your word and in your love, to renew their mind in your promises, in your provision, and in your protection. And then, God, whatever words or actions are taken later would be motivated by your Holy Spirit and not by operating in one of these traps. So God, this morning, set us free. And Father, I pray for Central Baptist Church that you in the days ahead would bless this body as they continue to grow together and love and serve you and love and serve one another, God, that you would keep them free from these traps. And God, I pray this morning that if there's anyone listening who's never taken that first step to know you personally through a relationship through Jesus Christ, that today you will help them understand that you gave them life and you gave them purpose and you have a plan for them and that plan begins with knowing Jesus. So God, today, would they take the steps to know Christ by admitting their sin, confessing their need for Jesus and receiving Christ into their heart and then give them the courage to reach out to, to someone here. Father, I, I, I lay this at your feet. As we sing, as we respond, I ask that your holy will be done. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Brother Jeff, I'm going to ask you to take over. Yes, sir.